Welcome to the SoulWorks Podcast, a place where we explore self-care strategies that lead us to our well-being and highest self. I'm your host, Ade Chakol. Hi, everyone. Thank you all so much for being here with me today. I have such a special guest with me, Paula Marcoline. She's a psychotherapist and she practices her therapy in integrative therapy. So it's just going to be a beautiful episode. Paula, thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. And before I start, I want to ask you what your morning routine looks like. First of all, thank you for having me and I'm honored to be here. So my morning routine, I do believe very much in a structured morning routine to kind of set the intentions and your plan for the day to get you off on a good start. So I always wash my face in the morning and I always make my bed up right away. And I will have my health drink, which is I take these supplements in a powder form and I have that in the morning. I'll have some coffee and then I will always say my prayers, my morning prayers, you know, quiet time, set my intentions for the day, do some work for my business and always try to get a workout in. I'm very into Pilates. So I do that. And um, it just really gets me on the right track for the day, my mind and my body and my spirit. Mm, That's beautiful. Yes. I think it's always very interesting to hear about how people start their day to set the self, themselves up, you know, for mm-hmm. a great day. So that's amazing. And thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. So uh, you're a psychotherapist, but how did all that unfold in your life? And can you share with us a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see, I'll start with college. So I went to college and got a bachelor's in psychology and did a couple internships there. And loving the classes, realizing that I'm very fascinated by the way people think and why they think what they think and say what they say and why they do what they do. And I just, it's fascinating to me that the the mind works. So I really enjoy classes and I end up staying in the field my whole entire career, but not been in the field since I graduated college. So when I graduated college, I did work in a psychiatric hospital an acute care unit, which means um, high intensity inpatient psych ward. And that was at suburban hospital in Bethesda. I worked there and then I went over to this uh, place called Potomac Ridge, which is in Gaithersburg, Maryland. I don't think it's there anymore, but they were a psychiatric hospital. So they had an adult acute unit, a call center, residential for adolescents. So I was in the call center and then I went over to the adult acute unit and then I went to the adolescent girls residential for a year. And that was a very challenging job because these girls had a lot of behavioral acting out optional defined behavior, which was very challenging, but it did prepare me for the rest of my career. After that, I worked at a place called St. Luke's House in Bethesda, Maryland, and they are, um, they still are in business. They are, work with seriously mentally ill, so SMI, which means that they have chronic mental illness. They've had a certain amount of hospitalizations. So some of the examples are, I work with schizophrenic patients and bipolar, severe bipolar patients, clients. So I really, really enjoyed that. And then I went back to grad school and went to Johns Hopkins and got a master's in science. And I absolutely loved school there. It was very clinical and science-based. So I, I really loved that. And I, then I graduated from there about, what, 2004. And I went to go work for the Fairfax County for four years. And I was deployed to a homeless shelter from the CSB which is Community Service Board for Mental Health. And I absolutely loved that. And then I um, got a job. No, so after that, 
I also got supervision there. I used to have 4,000 hours postgraduate for an LPC. So I'm a licensed professional counselor. And so I continued on with working at Fairfax. And then I eventually got went to private practice. So started private practice in 2008. I did it on the side while I worked for Fairfax County, sorry, Loudoun County. And then I went full-time into private practice in 2009. So I've been in private practice ever since. Mm, wow. That's a lot of experience. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for your service. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful work. So many of us, I don't think quite understand the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between these two? So with a psychologist, you so there's psychiatrists or they're MDs, so they can prescribe medication. So that is the big difference. And there's something called psychopharmacology with psychiatrists. So they really only get reimbursed for prescribing meds. They used to do talk therapy in the day, and that's really kind of faded out. And so their main job is meds, psych meds. And then the psychologists are, they could do standardized testing. So anything that's standardized, they can administer. And the other group is, we're called psychotherapists. So that's LPC, which is what I am. There's also LCSW. That's a clinical social worker. There's marriage and family therapist. So we're in this other group that is called psychotherapist. So we do all talk therapy. My approach is integrative. So I do person-centered, which is getting to know the client, the essence of change is the relationship. And then I incorporate psychodynamic, which is understanding how the mind works and getting into the process of it. So then and there, it becomes the here and now, the process of how we do things in life and how we think. And then I integrate cognitive behavioral, which says it's how you think that affects how you feel and behave. So changing the person's thinking. So that's what I do. It's all one-on-one. I do couples. I do group and I do um, individual adults. I do some adolescents, but mostly adults. And so I do that in a solo private practice full-time now. Mm. So I found out about you. What really attracted me to you is that you practice in integrative health, you know, integrated therapy, which, you know, I love so much. I think that's just the best way to heal a person. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just beautiful. So talk to us about like, how did you start getting into the integrative approach? Basically in grad school. So I took a couple classes. One was an advanced Asian meditation and I did other classes along those lines. I just really, when I went to Johns Hopkins, we had to do an oral thesis and they really, so we had to go before the board to graduate and give our oral thesis about what theoretical approach we were going to use, what our treatment model would be. And a lot of the students want to just do pick one so that either be like psychodynamic or Rogerian or Adlerian or different types of therapy, reality therapy, there's behavior modification. So I really do not want to pick just one because I believe that I look at the whole person and my father was a doctor, um, retired. I have my mother was a nurse. So very much along the lines of looking at the whole person and not only medically, psychologically, physically, but also environmentally. And so I you can't put somebody in a box. It's not a cookie cutter approach. I don't, I look at the big picture and I look at everything. So that's where I came up with integrative. So I just really, really honed in those skills in grad school. I love where I went to school and I really, you know, kind of made you figure out 
who you are as a person, how you're going to integrate that into the therapy session, because you can't separate the therapist from the person. That's what I was taught. And that's what I believe. So I absolutely believe 100%. And this is all, again, formulated in grad school for my thesis, that it's all about the relationship. The clients don't care what you know, until they know you care about them. So you could be the most educated sought after therapist, but if that client walks in and they don't feel a connection with you, a warmth, a feeling that, okay, this person cares about me, that they can feel relaxed and feel like they can have a weight lifted off them and they can just sit there and talk to you. And there's a healing environment. They're not, you're not going to get anywhere. They're not going to, they'll come two or three times, they'll leave. Or, you know, they just, again, they have, it's all about feeling like you feel that this person cares about you. So that's when I thought that's the most important thing starting out. But then I also said, okay, well, why does somebody think the way they think and do what they do? So that's a psychodynamic piece. It's looking at the unconscious processes and the unconscious mind, subliminal messaging, and what is someone's core belief about themselves and where did that come from? So I believe that everything stems from childhood and your family dynamic. I believe it's, you know, 90% or more environment over genes and you know how you what what temperament you came into the world with so uh, i just seen that over and over and over again that every single person that comes into my practice it always goes back to their childhood it always goes back to their family dynamic how they were raised how they were treated was there any kind of abuse and so like abuse could be subtle rejection of the family like you're you're not gonna be good enough you're never gonna amount to anything rejection and that kind of fills a person's core belief about themselves and who they become. And so I always looked at the childhood and how it affects who you are today. And then, then when I go forward, it's like, okay, we understand how you got here, but how are we going to help you? So I'm very much about a dynamic approach that I would kind of join with the client and they have to do their part. So they come into therapy and I give them homework assignments. I give them books to read and talk about the points of journaling, writing letters to people who have hurt you, whether you send it or not, you know, doing a lot of their own work. I've given them audio tapes to listen to and books and we come back and we go over it and say, okay, well, what did you do between this, this session and, you know, the next session? And so, cause if you just see me once a week for 50 minutes and you don't do any work outside, it's not going to help you. Um, so that's when the cognitive behavioral came in. So it's like, okay, we, now we know why you're here. And so because of your childhood and what you went through, it affects how you think. And I think the power of your mind and your belief system is huge, huge, huge. So I help them understand that it's not your belief about a precipitating event that causes you anxiety or depression. It, so it's not the event itself, it's your belief about the event and helping them to change their cognitive distortions so they can have new behaviors. Because a lot of things that are labeled as mental illness, I think are people making really bad choices. And if you're instructed to make better choices, your life can go on a completely different path. And I kind of simple it for simple it, make it more simplized for people and help them to see it on a level they can understand and not just really then be like, okay, wow, I didn't realize that just by me saying these things out loud and always reaffirming the negative and the way I'm thinking is going to bring that into existence because your your choices will be different based on your mindset. So yes, I, I've always looked at, I remember when I first started private practice, I went to holistic integrative therapy and holistic really means the whole person a lot of people think it's some new agey term or something but it's not it just means the whole person mind body spirit environment social biology biological you look at everything about that person so i, I have always believed that and 
you know, saw that and understood that. And so that's where that all came from. And the integrative piece is integrating different approaches. So it's not just psychodynamic, it's not just cognitive behavioral, but I mix, I combine that with, with a person-centered therapy. Um, again, because each person is so unique and it's just not one idea or theory fits one person. Mm, Absolutely. Yes. You know, integrative health, patient-centered approach is one of the approaches to practicing it. And I totally agree with you. Um, You know, from my own experience, I uh, seeked therapy a while ago, a few years back when I was in, you know, difficult part of my life. And I quickly saw that it wasn't for me. I felt like therapy wasn't for me just because my connection with my therapist was, you know, it didn't mm-hmm. exist, basically. It was just me talking to somebody who has zero uh, relation to my background or they, there was just, it was just a block, you know, I could not relate yes. to that person at all. Mm-hmm. So that completely changed my, and it was my first time ever going to therapy. That's huge. Yeah. So- yeah. So another thing I always do in my first, se- my first session, I always do a, a detailed biopsychosocial intake. So I get a whole history on the, on the client. You know, what kind of family did you grow up in? How many siblings did you have? Or your parents were they, did they stay married? Were they divorced? Have you ever been through a natural disaster or any kind of crisis? Um, have you ever used substances or had a history of mental illness? What was your relationship like with your father growing up? What was your relationship like with your mother growing up? So I look at the whole person and that is so vital. It gives me a framework for how to see this person and understand them. I, I have to have that as kind of like my template. So that's huge. And I always tell clients, you know, you're interviewing the therapist too. Like, you know, when you first start therapy, you know, call different therapists. There's tons of directories online. There's Psychology Today. There's goodtherapist.org. And you go on there and they have like their profile with their picture, and where they went to school, what their treat modalities are, what their approaches are. So you kind of interview the, uh, the therapist. So when you go in, I tell clients, if you don't feel that connection and comfortable right off the bat, it's a bad fit. And that's okay because every therapist is not for every client. But I always tell clients that. And um, I'm very dynamic. I will give you feedback. I will direct you and help you. And I don't just sit back and say, well, how does it make you feel? Or just kind of always reflect back the client. I really get in there with the client. I'm very directive and dynamic in that way. But clients mm-hmm. love that. They love it when you're interested in them. You want to know more and and remembering what they said the session before. I mean, you have to be able to follow their story. So they feel cared for. Everybody wants to feel cared for. They want to feel listened to. Clients need validation and they need to feel validated for what they're in before they can move forward. It's so important to say, you join with them and say, I'm so sorry you went through that. So this happened because of this. And and like you're validating their story and being like, they're like, yes, thank you. Somebody finally hears me. And then you can move forward with the change. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, absolutely. And then also that will give them, you're empowering them. Mm-hmm. They're taking back their responsibility for themselves as well. You know, right. they, they'll be like, yes, I can do this. Actually, I play a role in my well-being. Absolutely. Um, just because of your relationship with your therapist. Yes. Um, yes. Um, and also 
you know, when a few years back before I started my journey in integrative health, I had zero idea of uh, mind-body connection. I thought Mm -hmm. that, okay, behavioral health, mental health had nothing to do with your physical health, Mm -hmm. you know, the rest of your body. And, you know, I learned that through my own experience when I know that when I found out that if I'm not well mentally, Mm -hmm. my body is also going to suffer because there is no separation. It's like we've been thought that, you know, your mind is separate and your body's separate but that's not the case so can you share with me about like the connection of mental health and our overall well-being so that's all part of my holistic approach the integrative piece is that you cannot separate the mind from the body so you have a thinking body so your mind controls your body everything is comes from your mind and your brain and uh, it all starts in the mind so if you think a certain way so if you're always anxious or you're always feeling depressed or you're always having negative thoughts in your mind, what happens is your body has receptors on every part of your body for thought. So literally when they used to have a gut feeling, your gut feeling is actually talking to you. There's receptors on your stomach for thought. And so that knowing little feeling of, oh, I don't like this or this doesn't feel right. I tell clients, don't ever ignore that because it's your 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 stomach, your gut, which is actually not developed at the point of self-doubt. So it's sometimes even more accurate than what you're thinking in your mind. So yeah, your mind controls your body. So if you think a certain way and you're feeling um, you know, anxious and depressed, the more you think, oh my gosh, I feel awful, the more your body's gonna create adrenaline <laughs> and your cortisol level will go up and you're, you're on this fight or flight response. So you start to feel more anxious and your heart starts racing more. And the more you start to feel that you're like, Oh my gosh, I think I'm dying. Like those are where panic attacks come from. It's that your mind is so you cannot separate it. So I always teach clients about that and you know, how to, I'm big on mindfulness and teaching clients like, you know, focusing on the moment. What can you control right now in your life? What What's happening right now? What can you control? And step back and say, okay, why am I feeling this way? What's really going on? Because a lot of people in today's environment are walking around with way too much adrenaline and they have adrenal fatigue. And so the cortisol goes up because they're in this heightened state of anxiety all the time. And that is really adrenaline, which comes from trauma. So it starts in childhood. So if you grew up in an env- environment with a ch- parent who uh, before the age of nine, you don't have abstract reasoning, you don't have serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, you have them, but they're very minute amounts because you're in the age of directives. So your parents are guiding you, teaching you. And if you hear like these negative thoughts and words from your parents and you've been abused physically, sexually, emotionally, then you don't understand it as a child because it's like this person's supposed to love me. You don't understand and you take it everything as truth. So you get these messages, these bad things happen to you. The world's not safe anymore. You don't trust people and you're always on adrenaline. And so once you hit the age of after nine, that's when the dopamine, neuronephrine, serotonin kick in where you can have thought and make reason and sense out of things. But if you're in the, if you're in adrenaline, then you're in your limbic system, which is the right brain, the amygdala, pull the lever, there's a fire. I try to get clients to the left brain, which is logic and reasoning. And you do that by talking out loud to yourself. Your brain your, knows your voice, but anybody else's. So I look at things on a much deeper level of how the mind works and how it affects the body, the power of our words and what we say and how that comes into being. And so, yes, if you can whoever has a remote control for your mind controls you. 
So mm. we want to put the remote control <laughs> in a good place because it all starts with your thinking. And that's why I love therapy because there's hope. You can always change how you think. And they used to think that, you know, neuropsychology used to think that um, there was no plasticity, that you couldn't change the way you think. But there have been studies that show that if you have a thought and you don't act on it, with the knee-jerk reaction and you sit back and you take a deep breath and say, oh my gosh, okay, I feel in your adrenaline, my, my hands are shaking, I feel anxious, what's happening? And then you you get into where this is coming from. Then you can change how you respond to it. So it's kind of Absolutely. a really long answer, but... Yes, yes. <laughs> it was a perfect answer. And, you know, I also know that even how, you know, we digest food and absorb food is affected by our mental health. So there's this yes. you know, sympathetic nervous system and then the parasympathetic system. Right. And, you know, the sympathetic is what governs our digestion and absorption, but it only works when we're at calm. Otherwise, if we're always you know, nervous or anxious or doing something when we're eating and our brain is in that flight and fight mode, then the parasympathetic nervous system is at pause, which governs, you know, how we're digesting and how we're absorbing our food. Mm -hmm. So that plays a huge role in our body and our health. So Absolutely. It's, it's just so important that we know when to calm our body, you know, yes. and we're always, it seems like in this time, we're always anxious and nervous. So how do we know that? Like, what are the signs that we're anxious or we have an anxiety disorder? Like, how do we, okay. how can we tell? I want to say one thing before I go on that. I want to talk about what you were saying, jumping piggybacking on that is when you're not at ease, your body has a disease in the body. So it causes inflammation too. So that also affects your health and your autoimmune, your immune system. So I just want to throw that in there with you, what you just said. So one of the signs of having um, anxiety is excessive worry, difficulty in controlling the worrying, restlessness, muscle tension, difficulty concentrating. So those are some of the signs. And what was their question? I'm sorry. Well, how do we recognize that? And you just told us, yes. Also, that, yeah. do we need to, you know, experience them or have, feel those symptoms before we even seek therapy? Or oh, no, you can is it okay therapy. to? Oh, right. You can always seek therapy anytime. I think therapy is, I think there's the sticks, you know, that's getting less, but there's a stigma that there's something wrong with me. I can't handle my life, but it, we're, we're life coaches therapists are life coaches and we all have to live life and life is not free from difficulty. Everybody goes through something. I mean, a loss of a parent or a loved one, or you lost a job or you're going through a midlife issue. Um, life is coming fast at us and it could change in any second. So it's really help you get through life and manage it. So you don't have to be the place of having a panic attack and so anxious you can't leave your house or you can't get to your job to get therapy. That's more of a crisis approach. That's when you're in crisis. It, it's really good you come way before then. So anytime you feel like you need another perspective, because a therapist is, doesn't owe you anything. I'm, we're not there to judge you or to have an opinion about your life. We're not emotionally connected to your life. So we look at you very objectively, or at least a therapist should. 
and we can see the bigger picture and help point things out for you. Just knowing you have a place to go where you're not going to be judged, that you can just say whatever you want and you don't have to worry about what the therapist is going to think of you. So it's never a bad time to go to therapy if, if you feel like you need to talk to somebody and you can go. That's the great thing about it. It's You don't have to wait until you're in the state of crisis. I absolutely agree. Yes, just the same way where, you know, we go for our physical and we have to maintain our body's health and well-being. Mm -hmm. The same way we have to have a physical of our mental well-being. Right. And yes, I love what exactly. you said about, yeah, I love what you said about we don't have to wait until a crisis happens because by then, you know, you the damage has been done. Yeah, and, and you can be in the hospital <laughs> with a panic attack, emergency room. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I, I really like uh, what you said about that. But also, you mentioned that there are different kinds of anxiety disorders, correct? Right. Like, mm -hmm. what types are there? So there's specific phobia. So a lot of people have phobia, say, of like snakes or walking on the crack on a sidewalk because you have this phobia that something bad is going to happen. It's kind of superstitious, but it's a phobia. You have a phobia of flying, of driving in a car. It could be anything. So there's specific things you're afraid of that you don't want to be anywhere near, and it causes extreme reaction in your body physically. There's also social anxiety. So people, when they're with a group of other people, they're very afraid of what to say, and are people going to judge what they're saying? Are people looking at me like there's something wrong with me? I, I, I see that more than more than I realized was common at the beginning, but a lot of people are free of being judged by other people in a social situation. Um, panic disorder is actually when you have a panic attack and that's the, you know, feeling like you're going to die, your heart rate goes up, you're shaking, you know, feelings of imminent danger. And that is part of PTSD. So post-traumatic stress disorder, it goes along with panic disorder. A panic episode um, is part of having PTSD, that's one of the symptoms. Um, it's also agoraphobia, fear of open spaces, and generalized anxiety disorder, where it's just a constant feeling of just low-grade uneasiness or being unsettled or something bad's going to happen or just, just always on alert. Again, that's the adrenaline. So that's that anxiety is an, a huge influx of adrenaline. There's also OCD. So I see that um, clients the germ phobia, they have to wash their hands a hundred times. They can't leave the house unless they check their stove five or six, seven times. And they go through these rituals of repetitive behavior that's really hindering them in life. It's holding them back. It's not helping them. Um, it's coming the way of them living optimally. So yeah, those mm -hmm. are some of the um, signs. Most of these are learned, right? Like obviously we're not born with them, but something in our life must have happened for us to yes. experience these. Well, so that's the thing. You asked me about being an integrative therapist. Well, I don't really do the traditional med medication route. So if you talk to a different type of therapist or psychiatrist, they would say it's chemical, that you're born that way. Some of them would, and that you have to take meds to correct it. I don't look at things that way. I think there is a place for meds, but I think it's the last, it's the last approach for me. I don't tell people to go off meds. Uh, I do sometimes tell people that they might want to try some meds because they are can't even get through the day because something horrific happened to them. They're in a, a place of post-traumatic stress or acute stress, and they can't even calm themselves down to do anything. So there is a place for meds, but there it would be temporary. And you say, are people born this way? 
the, you know, the temperament. Could a child be born, you know, more extroverted or introverted? Yes, that's your basic personality. Are kids born anxious? Uh, parents say they are. But then again, what happened in the womb? So everything, everything's energy. So babies in the womb, if there's fighting all the time and chaos, the child in the womb feels that literally is gets afraid. And the mother's blood is pumping through the child. So yeah, the child come out anxious because the child was in utero with an anxious mother or father and a lot of fighting. That's again, that's the environment, right? It's not that the child comes out that way. So again, I, I look at things that I think, right, where, but if you're anxious in childhood, you came out anxious, you had an anxious mother or father, you're going to think, oh my gosh, I'm, this is, I just have a chemical imbalance or something wrong with me, but it's a learned behavior and your body's responding to it. And it's years and years and years of adrenaline, adrenaline to recede naturally um, through, mm. I believe in central oils, massage. I'm very big into detoxing, huge into detoxing. You got to get all the, the junk out for even nutrients to get into your cells. That's huge. I mean, I said massage and essential oils and what else is I going to tell you about? Um, vitamins, supplements, change the way you think. Um, I'm very into like taking Epsom salt baths, which are detoxing, um, self-soothing, taking, drinking calming teas, preparing your bedtime, like turn off your computer, all your devices, at least half hour for bed or more because electromagnetic waves coming off the television and the phone, the devices, it stimulates your brain. It makes you more anxious. The rate of anxiety has like, threefold. It's gone way up since the digital world, the digital age. Depression's gone up, anxiety's gone up, insomnia's gone up. And we have to look at, well, what's happening here? So yes, is someone mm -hmm. born that way? I There's my answer. <laughs> Why a long answer? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I love that. Absolutely. And oh my goodness, I totally agree with you that we really need to start watching ourselves when mm -hmm. we're pregnant and have little kids. They oh, yeah really absorb our energy absolutely yes. um, and it affects them especially if they're at an age where they're not able to communicate their feelings mm -hmm. they're just internalizing that and it's so sad to see you know um, where they're in an environment that is really affecting their mental health so i love what you said about that and one other thing is that what i've discovered is in my opinion is that a lot of quote mental illnesses come from PTSD in childhood, trauma. I mean, every single client I have seen in my practice, all of them have some sort of childhood issue in a family dynamic. Again, it could be it could be subtle rejection of the family. It could be very dismissive behavior from a parent or a sibling or little digs like you're never gonna amount to anything, or why don't you more like your sister? Like she, you know, she just hooked well at this. That's rejection. And the child knows there's something's not right. They don't feel loved. They don't understand why, because they don't have the language or the prefrontal cortex, the abstract reasoning is not fully there because the chemicals, so they take it as truth. Well, my mommy says I'm not good enough or there's something wrong with me. I'm not lovable then. And so the child's always on alert. The adrenaline is well, what's going to happen next. And there's a fight or flight. And a lot of fight or flight is not physical, it's mental. And all those chemicals cause or lack thereof can cause arrested development. A lot of the people I've ever seen, they come in there. And again, almost every single client has had some sort of something happen in their childhood. And then they have anxiety, depression, and phobias, and all these other things. And what it's all stemmed to, from my opinion, is this PTSD in childhood and the trauma and mm -hmm. having to recover from that. So 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We really, <laughs> uh, we really need to watch what we say to our kids. Um, it reminds me how, so I have a four year old son mm-hmm. and we have white walls. So he brought his crayons and he started, you know, writing <laughs> on the walls. <laughs> and my, you can imagine my reaction at first was, Oh my goodness. Like, right. Was, but then it quickly hit me. I'm like, okay, if I say something bad about this right now, he's going to be thinking that he's, not a good drawer or something, you know, it's, he's mm-hmm. going to think that he did something, not that he messed up the walls, but his artwork, which in his mind, that's mm-hmm. it is, that's what it is, is not good enough. So that I swallowed is, yeah. it mm-hmm. and it's there. <laughs> so that's a very uh, good really point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, they're my teachers. I mm-hmm. call my kids my uh, spiritual teachers uh, because They've taught me so much. I want to mention one thing about OCD. This is something I hear that, you know, and it's also based on my own experience. If, you know, we like our house a specific way, like if we clean a lot or like things in a certain way, is that OCD or are, is the word OCD being overused? What, what would you <laughs> okay. say? A lot of things are being overused. ADHD is overused. Bipolar is way overdiagnosed. OCD is overused. A lot of things just become these platitudes like, oh, you're, you're ADD or you're bipolar or you're OCD. No, I think that I personally believe that um, I believe your environment absolutely has a major impact on how you think internally. So if your world's externally at bay, then internally you feel at bay. Your home should be your haven. And I believe in structure and order. It's part of how you get through life in a way that makes sense and safe. It creates a safe environment around you. So if somebody likes to keep their house clean, I, I encourage that. I mean, but if you're sitting there like, you know, you know, waxing the table 50 times or whatever it may be, it's the point where it's getting in the way of your life and you can't leave the house because your socks all have to be a certain way and you have to, you forgot to clean this. And then it's all about balance. Life's about balance. So anything can become extreme. The pendulum Anytime the pendulum swings in either direction too far, it's usually not healthy. So, you know, if you like your house clean, I honestly, I think being a hoarder is pathological. I think that is way more dysfunctional than having your house clean. So if you feel good about it, how do you feel? I mean, if you walk in and you feel wonderful and at peace because you walk in and you've had a rough day, you come in, your your house is decorated, you want it, it's clean, doesn't matter how much money you have or what expensive thing, it's how you set it up in a way that makes you feel at peace inside and you can sit down with your cup of tea and just ex- exhale and be like, I'm in my safe space. I feel safe here. I really never ever hear a client who's a hoarder or messy come in and say they feel safe when they come home. They're usually super anxious all the time. So I definitely think our environment, again, that's our environment affecting how we feel inside. I uh, agree with to that. And I think a lot of people can relate because our personal space plays a huge role in our mental well-being. Definitely. I know I can't work if I'm in an area where, you know, papers are falling down the desk and there's just too much wires and all that. It just... Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, so... It overwhelms um, our sense. It's overwhelming. mm -hmm, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us, like, if someone has an anxiety disorder or any kind of mental uh, health issue, if left untreated, what are the things that they will experience? So physically, there's physically and mentally. So physically untreated, you're going to have increased heart rate, palpitations, chest pains, you have risk of high blood pressure, heart disease, 
Um, again, that's connected to the adrenaline, the cortisol being released, which causes burnout and chronic health issues and inflammation in your body and impaired immune system. So, and how that's connected to, you know, the mental health, you can have increased depression, difficulty in school, difficulty socializing, a uh, loss of self of who you are, substance abuse, suicidal thoughts. So, um, it absolutely, those are unchecked. That's where you're heading in those directions. Mm-hmm. And then where does abuse come into play here? Like, you know, do we go out to s- seek numbness for our anxiety through alcohol or other kind of drugs? Oh, yeah. Just to numb these- oh, right. Yeah. So definitely it's called self-medicating. So when we have unchecked anxiety and you start to have all these physical symptoms and, you know, mental health systems. Yeah. You want anything to pacify yourself. You want a quick fix. Addictions are rampant because it's a way to not feel numb the pain. So alcohol, drugs, shopping, porn, online gambling, online porn, whatever it is, it's a way to like check out and self-medicate and numb yourself down and anesthetize yourself. So you don't have to feel it. But then what happens is that's a little more stress on the body. So you're doing it temporarily. It does work. But if you do it chronically over and over, you're just adding more dis-ease to your body. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, it becomes extremely unmanageable at some point uh, because it's a cycle. It's a vicious, vicious cycle. It, yes. And then also there's the habit of your mind, so social memory. So what you think about – so there's also neurological pieces, nerve cells that fire together, wire together. If you think the same thing over and over and then – follow up with the behavior of it, you're reintegrating those neural nets and it's like a knee jerk reaction. So it's like, you just go right for it. So you have to rewire your brain. Mm-hmm. So instead of that's where the meditation comes in and you know, deep breathing and prayer and just centering your mind about, okay, I'm feeling super stressed. I want to grab that bottle of whatever. I want to have a glass of wine. It's fine. But if you want to, you grab that bottle of liquor every night or, or watch you going right to that porn every night or whatever it may be, then you're just, you become so addicted to it that you're making it worse. You're, you're a prisoner of your own mind at that point. And it causes, again, more stress. So realizing that, okay, wait a second, I don't have to make this choice right now. I don't have to go whatever it is you're going to do that's your addiction. You can take a deep breath, st- step away and say, okay, what can I do differently? But you have to replace it with something. You can't take a coping strategy away and not replace with something positive. It doesn't work. So you replace it with, I'm going to go for a walk instead. I'm going to listen to this classical music. I'm going to call this person who is very uplifting. And the more you do that, you actually can break apart the neural nets and you can form new networks. So you literally change the inside out. And so I, when my early 20s and my 20s, I was very angry. I had a lot of anger issues for several different reasons. And it was awful. I felt out of control. And when people get angry, they feel depressed afterwards because you're giving your power away and you just, you're just exhausting. And so it's like, why do I feel this way? Why is this happening to me? Is this ever going to stop? What? But the more you do your own self-search and that's what therapy is about and finding a good connection and understanding mindfulness, which is like, all you have is this moment, you know, right this second. And you don't have to make that choice and you don't have to act on that choice. I get angry very little now these days. I'm a completely different person. So I know this works because anything I teach clients, I've probably been through. And I know how powerful it is. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yes, it's very important to replace it with something else. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you'll drive yourself crazy. And it kind of brings us also to what we said earlier, that we need to check our mind and our mental mm-hmm. health constantly. Mm-hmm. And we need to have practices, routines, and rituals in place so that they mm-hmm. bring us back to, you know, stability when things like this happen. Mm-hmm. At least we have something to go back to. If we have a prayer practice or a meditation practice, mm-hmm. um, these are the things. And also, I think it's really, really important to get ourselves away from situations that make us want to drink or, you know, mm-hmm. do those toxic behaviors. Like if it's certain people that want us to, you know, encourage us to drink or say, come on, you, you know, it's only one drink or whatever, we should put ourselves first and say that, okay, for maybe a month or whatever, I'm going to remove myself from these kind of people or situations mm-hmm. so that we are on track. I think that makes a big, big difference. Oh, yes, um, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of touched up a little bit about them, but what are the treatments available for anxiety disorders? And so, like the integrative approach and then the okay. conventional <clears throat> Well, the conventional way is medication. I mean, people just want to well, can you know, go for a pill, just a quick fix. So traditional medication, I mean, sorry, traditional um, help and treatment would be medication mostly in some talk therapy. But for me, um, I can, I was talking about earlier, I'm very much about the cognitive behavioral approach, how you control how you think controls how you feel. Also support groups are very important. Just it's called the universality of knowing you're not alone. There's anxiety support groups. There's, you know, separation, divorce support groups, which is what I do for women, lifestyle changes, eating cleaner, taking your supplements, physical activity is huge, prayer, meditation, deep breathing exercises. I'm all about teaching clients how to forgive, self-compassion. Forgiveness is huge. I find a lot of clients have have unforgiveness in their life and they're harboring this anger in their heart and they're stuck. They can't move forward. And, you know, I always tell people, um, you know, if whatever you so there's a saying that um, anger is like holding on to a hot piece of coal with the intent of throwing somebody else. You're the one that gets burned. So when you're holding on to anger and resentment, that's that negative toxic energy that's holding you down. It's only hurting you. So when I have clients, a lot of times I'll have them write letters to the person that hurt them. And sometimes they'll send it. And a lot of times they don't. We'll just, we'll shred it in my office after they read it. And it's just so freeing to get that out of your heart and, and release it and, because all this stuff gets just so it gets toxic and it festers inside of us and just builds and builds and builds it's like a pot with the water boiling the lids on top it's just gonna explode eventually so i teach a lot of clients about and anxiety is related to unforgiveness and unhappiness and trauma and i'm worthless and i have no self-esteem and i'm never gonna get through this and i can't face the future and they catastrophize everything and make it be the worst possible scenario and they have all kinds of distortions of mind reading and black and white thinking and so i help understand where that's coming from but where did that negative thinking come from well it comes from their childhood usually and how they were raised and how they were treated and that affects a lot of that as unforgiveness it's attached to parents and siblings and caretakers who you've just held on to for all these years so again it's like i try to teach people ways of 
have, making long lasting changes. You become what you eat. Whatever you eat, you are what you eat. I mean, you need certain nutrients to feed your neurotransmitters, your chemicals, a fish oil, 3000 milligrams a day. It helps your serotonin. I mean, the neural nets in your brain, the neurotransmitters are nourished by nutrients. And a lot of times you have so many receptors on a cell for anger that food can't even get in. Nutrients can't get in because it's so inundated with is anger. So, and the other thing is that the same receptors for heroin and cocaine, the same receptors for anger and pain and um, what was me and all these negative thoughts because it's a neuropeptide connected to what you thought. So you can be addicted to emotional state. You can be addicted to being anxious. You can be addicted to being angry all the time. And again, once you change that neural net and break apart your thinking, then those receptors, when, the, when a new cell is created, the daughter cell will not be of anger, be a new receptor for whatever that positive thought is or the nutrition. So I teach people like, what can you do now to empowering them to know that they can make different choices? Um, exercising is huge. Um, there's lots of studies on how even 20 minutes a day walking can improve your mental health and your physical health. Clients come in and they've, they're so depressed and anxious. And I'm like, okay, and this is the thing I do my intake. How are you sleeping? What are you eating? Are you exercising? No, they're drinking, you know, 10 Diet Cokes a day. They get five hours of sleep on the computer all night. Uh, they eat like not eating healthy. Well, no wonder you feel bad. <laughs> I mean, they don't even think about this. They're like, what? I'm like, look what you're doing. Just look at your lifestyle. And I help them make these changes and empower them that, oh my God, I can feel better. I can make different choices. There is hope. And it just amazes me. How we're not taught this in high school or college. There is no class on emotional intelligence. We, kids need to be taught this stuff. They're not. So that's so empowering for clients to know that they can make these changes and that it, act, it does affect their mental health. So there's your long answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You, put, you gave us so much there. I don't even know where to start. There's so much. Um, but wow. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I I don't know why we don't learn this at school, you know, how to take care of our mental health, to have, you know, healthy relationships and finances. These are like the core things that make us healthy, just, you know, successful human beings. And it just, yes. it just surprises me how. Well, also um, relationships. I do a lot of relationship counseling and relationships are huge. That's another whole talk, but basically we have a lot of toxic relationships in our lives. So, so we put toxic food into our body or drink. We have toxic people in our lives and we have to cut people out. Certain people. I mean, I've got some clients, their family of origin is so toxic. They literally cannot have a relationship with them. They cannot have contact because they're so abusive and so damaging. So everybody's their own person and each situation is unique. And you always have to look at the context of what the client's bringing into the session. But yeah, relationships, um, boundaries, people have really hard time with boundaries knowing when to say no, or I'm sorry, I can't take that on. They have to do it all. And a lot of women have a pressure of working full time and having kids. That was when I was growing up, that was to consider like, oh, that you're, you're so fortunate if you're working full time and kids. Um, now I'm like, no, you're not. You're working 24 hours a day. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's, it's hard to balance all that. And it's okay to say, no, I, I can't do that today. Or I'm sorry, I need to pass up on that. You have to nurture yourself. An analogy I always uses with mothers is, you know, when you're in a plane, when 
the oxygen mask comes down. What does this flight attendant say? You know, put the mask on yourself, then take care of your child. A mother needs to recharge. A father, they need time alone as a couple. The woman, the mother needs time by herself to do run some errands, get her nails done, go for a walk. And then she comes back recharged to take care of her kids. So having a community of people around you support you, this culture, we don't have that. We don't have grandmother and aunt and uncle down the street. Everybody helps. That releases to stress. So a lot of people have to do it on their own. A lot of mothers are single mothers and they have to take it all on. So it's being okay saying no. It's knowing when you can reach out to people and say, can you help me with this? I need help with this. Just that sense of community and connection relationships and having the positive relationships and the negative relationships, the toxic ones, we need to learn how to break these soul ties because soul ties form. And you wonder why you can't get over this person when your spirit's wrapped up in their spirit. And again, that's another talk, but I mean, it's all these different layers and levels of health and healing wholeness. And again, Mm -hmm. that's the holistic approach. My holistic approach is I look at everything. I think we definitely need to have another podcast about relationships Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I agree with everything that you said. And, you know, it's also something I'm going through right now is being able to say no. It comes in so many different versions, you know? Yeah, we say we should be able to say no for our time, but sometimes we don't say no because we're worried that, you know, whoever we're saying no to will think we're a bad person and we have this thing within us that, you know, we can't stand being considered a bad person. And it's tough. It's tough. And we definitely need to work on boundaries. But I also want to go back in what you said about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. One thing that worked for me because forgiveness was, you know, a huge deal in my Mm -hmm. own journey um, going through you know, a lot of things that had happened in my life. So one practice that really worked for me is, you know, I sit down and I put a chair in front of me and I imagine that person that I want to forgive, but, you know, I I can't say it face to face. And I really pour my heart out. I, uh, you know, talk about the pain they've caused me, the role I played in the whole situation, and I forgive them and also forgive myself. And I love that. Oh my goodness. It, That's I mean, actually called can... the empty chair technique. It's a gestalt therapy. You figured that out on your own? No, I read about it somewhere. I That's mean, I, you know, I did a lot of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very powerful. I love that. Yes, it works in amazing ways. That mm-hmm. and then what you said about, you know, writing it down, burn it if you have to, or shred it if you can't send it to them but there's so many ways and i say this because you know if we can't forgive then we can never heal exactly Um, forgiveness is a gift you give yourself and a lot of people think that if i forgive it means it didn't happen and that's not true forgiveness is saying you don't forget but you're not attached to pain anymore and you free yourself also when you write you engage the left side of your brain which is a logic of reasoning so there's a saying that goes the hand will allow you to write but the brain will allow you to tell so when you write you engage the left side of your brain and you make logic and reasoning out of it. And you have these aha moments of connecting. And so you're able to like, okay, this is why this happened. This is why I feel this way. And you're able to like, let it go and you free your mind. So that's the reason why I like Uh journal writing and letter writing. Absolutely. Yes. And you know, when you forgive somebody, you're not validating what they did is right. You're not, you know, giving them an excuse. You're just choosing to let it go. Because, you know, we're all human, we all make mistakes, and Mm -hmm. 
there's this thing Maya Angelou says that I forget how the whole quote, but uh, Mm -hmm. nothing that a human being does is foreign to me, which is we're all human beings. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just love that. I was just going to say like, yes, forgiveness is so huge. Again, like it's it's a gift you give yourself and it's like, who would I be without this anger I'm holding on to? A lot of people don't have forgiveness. They have anger and resentment. Mm -hmm. And who's that hurting? You. The person doesn't feel it at all. And it affects your mental and physical health. It is so freeing to forgive. It really is a gift you give yourself. It's just so powerful. And I don't think people are taught it enough. And not to forget to forgive ourselves too. Absolutely. Like forgiving yourself for buying into belief where that person said to you that you thought was true. Absolutely. Self-forgiveness is Mm -hmm. huge too. Yes. Because no one's perfect. We're, we're so, we all make mistakes, right? Right. Absolutely. So right now, you know, we are in a very difficult time. We, you know, with the quarantine and uh, the pandemic. How would you say this whole experience has played a role in mental health? Oh, my gosh. Well, there's a lot of bad and good. Um, with like everything in life, there's bad and good. So the bad is that people have lost their jobs. That causes massive stress. There's like 30 million people on unemployment right now. People are drinking way too much alcohol because that's considered essential store. So people are relapsing. They're stuck in their houses. You got a volatile relationship. There's already you know domestic disputes, and you got a mother in the house with her kids, with the husband or boyfriend, whoever, whoever their partner is, and they're no job, drinking and they're stuck in the house together. That's a recipe for disaster. And I believe that the domestic violence rate is doubled across globally. It's a big problem. So that's not good. Sitting around watching television all day and on the iPads or your iPhone or wherever with these electromagnetic waves coming at you nonstop, stimulating your brain, stimulating your anxiety, watching binge watching Netflix for hours and hours. That's not healthy. <laughs> Those are all things that are going to harm you. So, and, and people are just, the anxiety has gone through the roof with people. Depression, the suicide rate's gone up because people's, you're, there's this unknown of what's going to happen. Like, when is this going to end? And, you know, there's a lockdown, then it might be extended, might not be extended. And you got people all, every gamut, just so full of fear. And I believe there's, there's spirits behind emotions. There's a spirit of fear. So these people are just living in fear. And, to me, there's two main emotions. There's love and fear. Everything negative comes under fear. So the bad side, the good side is, okay, you still have a choice. Like I tell my clients, what can you control in your environment right now? You can't control what's happening in the world around you, but what can you control? You can control what you decide to do. You can decide not to sit around and drink all night. You can decide to get into nature, go for walks, You know, do that collage you've wanted to do, sew that sweater you want to sweater. Do you want to, sorry, net, you know, what is this hobby you want to take up? Reorganizing your garage, your closet, your drawers, spending time with your kids, playing board games, turning off the devices, um, getting to know your family again, have dinner together again. Again, it comes down to choices. We all have free will. We all have a choice. And that's what brings my clients down a notch is that, okay, okay, you're right. I, I can control my environment. What can I control in my environment? Everybody needs that locus of control, that internal locus of control of, what can I do? And I, I help them let go of what's going on in the world. I also tell them you need to be informed and not inundated. You, you cannot spend all day long watching news. That's called like predictive programming and it gets, you controls your mind. You know, anything that's repetitively put into your mind changes your brain, your brain chemistry and the neural nets and people don't understand that. 
So it's understanding like, you know, be informed, but not inundated, you know, schedule in time. Okay. For a half an hour a day, I can watch what's going on in the world and then I'm turning it off. I'm not a fan of social media at all, honestly. I think it's pretty divisive. Now, yeah, there's a place for it if you're, you know, advertising your business or you want to get in touch with family who's overseas or whatever. But I got clients that scroll there all day long and they're a mess. And there's a lot of this negativity on social media right now with people's political views and politicizing everything and blaming one another and the whole social distancing. I get that, but it's like we still need relationships. And people are judging one another. Um, you're not wearing your mask, the coronavirus shaming that's happening. And I think we need to be logical, you know, like wash your hands, you know, sit, keep the six feet apart. Uh, no less than 10 people, you know, use your hand sanitizer. If you're sick, don't go out. You know, if you want to wear a mask at the grocery store, fine. If you go during the, you know, the prime time when everybody's shopping. Do you want to go late at night and there's only two people there? Well, then don't wear a mask. That's how I look at things in balance because it is all about keeping perspective. And that's where I think a higher power comes in or faith in God, knowing that there's a plan that God Almighty has a bigger plan. You know, at the end of the day, you know, put your faith in God. If you have that faith, if you believe that, or I, I just think it's so important to have some sort of spiritual compass that guides you knowing that there is a bigger plan and, this is just a passing point. I personally believe that this earth is a speck of time. It's a speck in the, of sand. It's nothing compared to eternity. So, it, you know, a lot of people are having existential crisis right now. I've had clients come to me and say, well, what's the point of being here? Why am I here? Dealing with loneliness and, and death and what's the meaning of life? And, you know, that book called Search for Meaning by Frankel Victor is very good. He was a man who was in the concentration camps and found meaning being in there. He was able to overcome being in there by what his beliefs were. So that's your answer. So that's really, it's a big, a long answer again, but what can you control in your environment? Really? That's beautiful. Wow. Yes, absolutely. You know, whenever things seem to be out of control, just control what you can. Right. Um, I love what you said. Everything that you said makes sense. There are so many things that we can control within our homes, within ourselves. This is the time to look inward because we're all in inside. So exactly. it's time for, uh, you know, mm -hmm. look inward and see what needs to be fixed. There's so many things, not just, you know, within our homes, but in our minds, in our relationships, uh, relationships with our kids. I am having the time of my life right now because I never had the chance to play board games with my kids. And oh, now awesome. we do because I don't have to be stuck in traffic coming back from work. So we do have that extra time. You know, I still work from home, but we do have that extra time now to do the things that we never had the chance to do. I can, I'm taking this opportunity to teach them our language, you know? Oh, that's awesome. And I love that. Yeah, it's, it's choice. You know, we all have a choice. Mm -hmm. And we get to choose if we want to focus on the media and, you know, spoil our minds with all the toxic negative news that we're consuming or we mm -hmm. have the choice to limit that because mm -hmm. it is necessary to know what's going out there. But, you know, like you said, not 24 hours in the day. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, yes. and, and I think it all comes back to what we do on a regular basis. You know, if, you know, we're like 
iceberg metaphor that, you know, our conscious, yes, our I subconscious that. is that mm-hmm. bigger part. So if totally. we, you know, if we mm-hmm. have that stable and if, if we've practiced our meditation, our prayers, and if, if we know ourselves, if we're comfortable with ourselves, then this, you know, shift, this uncertainty that's happening right now wouldn't affect us as much as like if we have zero control if we don't know who we are then yes Mm -hmm. this is scary right absolutely 100 percent. yeah so what was the book that you recommended i want to make sure i want to put it on the show notes did i say call me your anxious mind oh yeah man search for meaning that's frank or victor uh if i'm saying it wrong search for me yeah okay frank or victor i think that's his name is there another one well, there's also calming your anxious mind, mindfulness for your anxious mind. John Kabat-Zinn is one of the, like, he, I think he's one of the co-authors on it, but um, that's a really good. See, mindfulness, you can use across the board because what it says is that all you have is this moment. You can't control the past. And mindfulness is an Eastern philosophy. It's not a religion. It's a philosophy. And it says that, you know, you can't control the past. You can't control what's going to happen tomorrow. Literally, all we have is you and I right now talking on this podcast. That's all you have. It's being in the moment. It's noticing where your mind goes. Because a lot of times we'll be driving somewhere and you're on automatic pilot and you are thinking about everything that's bothering you, worrying you, and you didn't know how you got where you were going. Well, if you're not present, you don't put that full energy into that moment. You're not really living life. So playing with children, playing with your dog or cat, watching nature, smelling the flowers as you go by, really being in the moment, that's living. So that helps people realize that you cannot control what's going to come. And you, you the past is gone. You know, if you live in regret, you're going nowhere else. You know, it's, it's you need to be validated for it, like I talked about in the beginning for what you went through. But now how are we going to help you move forward? And what can you do today? Because all you have is today. So, mm-hmm. yeah. If you're depressed, you're living in the past. And if you're anxious, you're living in the future. I like that saying. Yes. So, so. Um, what recommendations? So, you mentioned a lot, but uh, <clears throat> if there are any more recommendations or resources that can help us get through this time of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So, on my website, there's a page yeah. that says resources. And I uh-huh. list called healthmathers.com. They are amazing with supplements. There's stuff on there about detoxing, massage, essential oils. There are other resources there for recovery. So I'm very big into functional medicine doctors. You can find a doctor that does functional medicine. that gets the root of the problem, not just this Band-Aid disease model approach, but the root of it. Again, the, the journaling, reaching out to family and friends, you know, spending time in nature, organizing your life, learning a new skill. Those are, what again, what can you control right now during this coronavirus? And, um, and this is, you know, unprecedented. No one's ever been through this before and no one knows what's going to happen. But again, what it's all about your choice. You can choose how to spend your time while you're in quarantine. And just knowing that you have the power to make different choices and that you're not alone. I think relationships, positive relationships are huge during this time. Reaching out to people who support you that you feel loved by and cared for, you know, genuine friendships, nurture those genuine friendships and don't get so caught up in the superficial ones on social media, which aren't real anyways, most of them. And that just brings more anxiety. Cause it's I think compared- there's, there's one thing that we can all learn from this is that we're not alone, you know, exactly. Um, everything that I'm facing right now 
you know, the fear, the uncertainty, all the anxiousness, somebody else is, you know, on the other side of the world is feeling it also. From what's going on right now, I think if we can pick something up is that we're not alone and definitely reach out to people, you know, even though we're social distancing, we still have the resources, you know, we have Zoom now, we have FaceTime. There's so many ways that we connect, we can connect to people, but even though this, you know, thing is pulling us away physically, we don't necessarily have to be isolated in that case. So yeah. Yes. Reaching out to people through, you know, uh, zoom or, um, some sort of video conferencing or FaceTime, but also what I have clients are doing is they'll meet a friend and go hiking and just keep six feet apart and being in nature. That's huge. Like people don't realize you can still go out. I think being in nature right now is the most, one of the most positive things you can do. Unplug. Don't bring your iPod with you. Just be in nature. You know, listen to the wind, look at the birds, watch them chirp, listen to them chirp. Just being one with nature. And again, again, I've had clients that, you know, they haven't seen somebody. They live, they, they, you know, it's a friend and they'll meet halfway and they'll go for a hike and they're not near each other, but they're talking, they can still talk to each other. I've had fr- clients meet a friend for a picnic outside and they're six feet apart, but they're still talking to each other. There's nothing like that authentic face-to-face communication we need those relationships we need that connection that energy of face-to-face so if you can do it outside and it's feasible then do it that's what i say absolutely yes i agree you know and one thing i wanted to mention is like you know even when we're going outside if we're going alone most Mm -hmm. of us pick up our you know phone and we're listening to a podcast or we're listening to music and that's fun that's awesome but We also need to give time to be just by ourselves and listen to our thoughts. We need that time to get to know ourselves. You know, when you go out for a walk, try not to listen to something. Mm -hmm. Just be there. And then you'd be amazed on when you listen to yourself, like what kind of thoughts go into your head. That's when you get to know yourself. Definitely. Um, So I just want to put it. Yeah, put that out there. Your soul and spirit speaks to you in in the silence. So that's what I always tell people if you're going for a walk and you have your headphones on all the time you're still not present you're not being mindful you're off someplace else you're not you mm-hmm. don't even pay attention when you're walking you're just all lost in your th- whatever it is you're thinking about and whatever you're obsessing about or worrying about and you're just not present so there's nothing like silence silence feeds your soul what is your own yeah. longing in your own heart and soul and also do you, what people can do, I tell them, like, plan for your future. It's a great time to say, well, who do I want to be when this ends? What do I want to accomplish for my life? We're actually given an opportunity right now to not rush around everywhere and have to go here, there, and here, and there. And there's no time for anything. Like, take time to just be with yourself and find yourself again. Get to know yourself again. So that's huge. Absolutely. I, I can talk to you for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy talking to you. Thank you so much. You've given us so much wisdom. This was just amazing. I want to know how me and my listeners can serve you. Uh, to serve me? To like... Yes. Okay. Me um, or anything, like if there's anything that we could do for you, because you've shared so much with us. This was amazing. Oh my gosh. I mean, in the sense of, I mean... If- I just want everybody to just take in what I said and just really let it sink in your heart and your soul and, and just take the time to like really absorb it and see where it sits with you. Um, you know, if you want to come see me for an appointment um, at some point, I do in session still. I have a big office. So I have 
more than plenty of room and I still have half my clients want to come see me. They want that face-to-face interaction. So I'm still in my office half the time. I do video sessions the other half of the time. Call me if you have a question, if you want to ask me anything, uh, if you need a referral for someone, I can do that for you. Um, but so that's really it though. You know, if you enjoyed this podcast, share it with people uh, and tell them about my practice. I'd really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And how can uh, people reach you? So I have a website. It's integrativeholistictherapy.com. That's all one word, integrativeholistictherapy.com. And my email is pl.mylastname, which is M-A-R-C-O-L-I-N at integrativeholistictherapy.com. But if you just go to my website, I, there's my um address is there, my phone number, my email. So if you go to my website, you'll find how to contact me on there. You can contact me directly through my website. I have a contact form there. Um, so yes. Awesome. I'm in Old Town. Okay. And we'll, right? I said we're going to link all that in the show notes as well. So yes. Yeah, so I was going to say that I, I, my office is right in Old Town Leesburg. So when we reopen, there's lots of cute little shops and a lot of clients will make a day of it. They'll go for a walk and get some coffee and do a little shopping and then they'll come do therapy. <laughs> so they make Beautiful. a day of it. Beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paula, I can't thank you enough. So thank you so much for yes. being here with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Wow, you guys. Paula is definitely a sweet soul. I really enjoyed speaking to her. I think this episode will be extremely useful to a lot of people. I think it's about time that, you know, we all take this radical responsibility to our well-being. And it's not just our physical well-being that we need to look at, or it's not just our external image uh, that we need to worry about even though that's something very important but it's time to really take action and consider how our mental health affects our entire well-being so i really encourage you all to really take the time to understand your mental well-being understand your emotions understand your relationship with your internal critic and notice your feelings. All emotions, feelings are normal. They're a part of what makes us human. But we need to also question those emotions and feelings because they're not always accurate. And it's extremely important to seek help if you know, we're going down a path that's destructive to our well-being. And that's when we really need to seek help and seek therapy. And when we do so, we need to realize that not all therapists are the same. Like how what I mentioned in my own experience, if you're not working well with your therapist, if you don't have a good relationship, then that might really affect your experience and you might just not like it at all. So take this responsibility for your mental health because it is so important. It affects your entire being, your entire experience, not just your internal, but also your external. So I really hope that you got so much from this episode. 
And if you loved it, please write a review, give me a rating. That definitely helps. And also share, uh, you know, share this episode to people that you think might benefit from it. We're all here to serve and help one another. So if this somehow helped you, please go ahead and uh, share it with someone. Until next time, beautiful souls. I love you. Stay safe. I'll catch you later. Bye. Thank you.